Our topic this week, out of the book of Genesis, Abraham and Lot split up or break up. Sad story, starting verse five. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so a lot of people think, oh, if we just had more money, we wouldn't have any problems. If we just had more prosperity, everything would be on easy street. Well, here, Abraham's prospering, Lot's prospering, and they have more troubles than ever before. Now, it starts here, it says, Lot also who went with Abram. We'll come back to that. But it's Lot going with Abram. We've seen that from the beginning uh, when God called Abram to leave or the Chaldeans, uh, Terah, his father, and Abraham, and his, one of his brothers, left, and Lot went with them. And then when Abraham left or uh, Haran, uh, Lot went with him. And when Abraham went from place to place, Lot was with him. When Abraham went down to Egypt, Lot went with him. And when he came out of Egypt, Lot went with him, right? And so here again, Lot went with Abraham, so Abraham is the leader of the clan here. He's the older, he's the uncle. And, uh, and now they're prospering. And so really everything that uh, Lot is prospering is uh, because of Abraham. Abraham probably has more than Lot does. Again, being older, more time to, to grow more. And then all that he received when he came out of Egypt uh, went to Abraham. And if he shared any with Lot again, it was Abraham doing so. And so then this argument takes place, and, and here in this slide is just the herdsmen battling it out. In verse 7, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Now that's kind of an interesting thing. They're thrown right there in the middle of this story, because we see the next verse goes back to uh, Abraham and Lot. Uh, and so we read verse 5 and 6, Abraham and Lot and their herdsmen and their uh, flocks, and, and then verse 8, Abraham and Lot, and then right there in the middle, 7, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. What does that have to do with anything in this story? And we've already been told before in the last chapter and other verses where it said the Canaanites were in the land, right? Abraham came into the land, and the Canaanites were there. So that's a known deal. It's the land of Canaan, right? So we knew that. Um, so why is that thrown in here in verse 7? And, and not only just like in verse 5, right? So it could have been the beginning or kind of an intermission between coming out of Egypt and then just a reminder, the Canaanites in the land, and then go into the story of Abraham and Lot and this battle between the herdsmen. But no, it's not between stories. It's in the middle of the story. And I think the reason is, is because God is wanting to remind us while Abraham and Lot and their herdsmen are battling it out, thinking that each one is the problem and they're fighting this argument, they're not the problem. They're not each other's enemy, right? Lot is not Abraham's enemy. Abraham is not Lot's enemy. Uh, Abraham's herdsman is not the enemy of Lot's herdsman, and Lot's herdsman is not the enemy of Abraham's herdsman. There are Canaanites in the land, and they could cause real trouble or Abraham and Lot, and yet there they are fighting as if they are mortal enemies, 
when there are others in the land that are a much bigger problem. And there are these others in the land who need to be hearing the gospel. And who are they going to hear it from? Only from Lot and Abraham. That's the only possibilities that is available to them at that point in time. And instead of Abraham and Lot sharing the gospel with these people, they're bickering and they're fighting it out instead of being a living witness. And do you think this fight is giving glory to God? No. If the Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites uh, are hearing this fight going on, do you think that's uh, giving a good witness about God and his glory and his love and his power uh, to work in people's lives? No. No. And so God throws that in there to remind us, in our battles, other people are watching. Other people are around us. There's a bigger picture at hand. And those that we often battle with are those who are closest to us. And we have the fiercest arguments with those whom we shouldn't be arguing with at all. And there are others who we do have real differences with, who we need to get into an argument with, truth over error, or whatever. Uh, and those that we need to be witnessing to and shining to. And we are wasting our time with congregational debates, with fights among friends and families, and in marriages, and divorces taking place. Because we don't realize who the real enemies are. We don't realize who we are influencing by our lives. Who's hearing us through the wall or down the street or next door or in the other office or in the other schoolroom or friends at the playground or our friends and family we know what's going on and hear secondhand and thirdhand of what's taking place. Doesn't honor God, doesn't glorify God when we bicker and fight and debate. Hurts God. Verse 8 Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, and if you take, go to the right, I will go to the left. But Abraham very graciously says, look, let's not fight. He said, let there be no strife between you and me. So there was obviously strife between the two of them. And Lot was striving with Abraham. Then Abraham says, let's not strive against each other. And let's not let our herdsmen battle it out. We need to stop this. And where it said there wasn't enough land for the two of them to dwell together, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we go another 400 years and Moses is coming out with a million people and there was enough land then. <laughs> How wasn't there enough land for, for two families to dwell together? 
I'm sure they could have worked something out, you know, spread out a little bit, or you, know, you go up to Hebron, I'll go to Shechem, you know, but you don't have to totally divide and fight and, and battle it out. They could have worked something. Let's sell some of the herd, right? How about that? You know, we got too many sheep, then let's just sell some of the sheep so that we do have enough. Why, why do we have to fight? There's a lot of solutions they could have come up with other than dividing, breaking up, splitting. They didn't work it out. Remember a minister invited me over, I forget why, I went over and talked with him in his office, and, uh, and we were talking, and somehow we got off on, on another topic that wasn't the reason that he invited me over, and uh, he started to tell me about another congregation in that town, where, where it was, it wasn't here, uh, another town, uh, of another congregation in that same town, I forget if it was the same denomination as his, or or a similar type of congregation as his. And, and he said that that other minister um, was bad-mouthing, he was told that uh, it, this other minister was bad-mouthing the congregation where he was leading and, and his work and all like that. Uh, it was a sad, a sad story. And uh, I said, the reason he's doing that is because he doesn't know who the real enemy is. He thinks you're the enemy, and you're not the enemy. There are people there out there who don't know the Lord. You know, so what did he have? I don't know if he had maybe 200 members in congregation. Maybe the other one was equal to that. In a town of probably hundreds of thousands. And here they're bickering and fighting over a few hundred people. Sad. Sad. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the devil. There's evil angels who are trying to destroy souls. And we think it's, you know, some other group. And again, they were pretty close in their faith, those two, maybe exactly the same. And they were fighting over this membership thing. Yeah, it was sad. I was speaking with another man, Another situation, he was telling me that he was from a certain state, I think it was North Carolina or somewhere, and, uh, and he was, their congregation had split up, um, because, but he was on the right side, and there was this issue, and it was something, I don't even think it was theological. I don't know if it was a color of carpet or something like that, but I mean, it was really a, a non-issue. It wasn't a Bible issue, uh, exactly. Uh, if I remember, but it wasn't, uh, again, it's anything you can really prove out of the Bible. It was a preference. Um, and, uh, and they split, but he was on the right side. God has blessed them. Uh, I forget the exact numbers, but originally, let's say they were, they were originally like, like 200 members or 300 members. And now, with, with the group that he was with, uh, they had 150 members. But that other group, they're just falling apart. They're down to 50 members. Well, I did some calculating there, and that meant there were 100 people that fell between the cracks somewhere. So yeah, you might have three times as much as the other, but there's still people missing. The two combined are not what it used to be. And you think that's great? And you think you're on the right side? You think you guys stood for morality and did something good by dividing and splitting? How is God honored and glorified through that? 
Yeah, so congregational splits take place, divorces, people bickering and fighting. Again, we do it with those who we know the most, know the best. When people break up, I never loved. Really, where'd these three kids come from? I mean, you know. <laughs> Now, obviously, at one point, there was some love there, so what happened? Why can't we go back to what was really there? And too often, I get the call after it's already too late. They're not wanting to even talk to each other. But Abraham is willing to talk to Lot. And I'd imagine before they got to the point where, Lot, where Abraham comes up with this solution of splitting, that he tried to work some type of situation out first, that they could stay together. I would hope so. And knowing Abraham as we do, and Abraham had no animosity towards Lot, as we see here, he's giving him the first choice. You choose. And we see later on, not tonight, but in future weeks and future chapters of the Bible, Abraham's praying for Lot and interceding for Lot. Abraham risks his life to save Lot. Abraham doesn't have any animosity, hatred. Again, it doesn't seem like he's in the middle of the fight here. He's saying, let's not fight. But there are ways to solve problems where people can come to harmonious agreement together. And in marriage, that's how it should be. Where both parties are making decisions based on a mutual, enthusiastic decision, agreement on what how to move forward in that area, whether it's how to spend the money, how to raise the kids, where to live, where to work, what to do, what color carpet, whatever the topic is, where to go out for dinner, right? whatever the topic is. It doesn't have to be a compromising. I don't believe in compromising. In compromising, both sides lose. It's a lose-lose situation. Both gave in something of what they originally wanted. And so neither is really enthusiastic about it, but both are giving in a little bit. So you kind of feel good because the other gave in something, and you feel, they feel good because you gave in something. But no one's really feeling terrific. No one's real enthusiastic about it. Whether you need to do, whether in a marriage situation or a friendship or business partnership or congregational setting, is work and strive and brainstorm together until you can come up with an idea that everybody is enthusiastic about, that everybody is in agreement with. Something that keeps it together and harmony together and moving forward together. It takes work, it takes thinking, it takes thinking in the other person's shoes, knowing what they really want, what is really important to them, not just what they're surfacely saying. They want to go out to eat, but it's not so much that they don't want to go eat. It might be that they don't want to cook, <laughs> you know, or they don't want to cook some dishes. Find out what the real reason is and come up with a solution that meets everyone's needs and makes everybody enthusiastic about it, in agreement with it. And that's what we need to be doing, coming together and not splitting up like this. It's horrible. It's horrible what's taking place in congregations. God's work is not blessed. It's not moving forward. By It's, it's good for congregations if they get to a, a, a decent size instead of becoming some big, huge, mega thing that's, that's no one knows anyone, but, to then plant congregations, to give birth to daughter congregations, that's a good thing. But splits is not. 
good thing. Not, not how God's work should move forward. But unfortunately, that's how many congregations are formed, from disagreements and splits. And again, most often it's not under anything real theologically important. It's important to take a theological stand, but, uh, but most debates are not over theological issues. Uh, and even the theological issues can be studied out and worked out if both hearts or sides are willing to come at it with a humble heart, a willingness to hear from God and to move forward and take all the Bible text in together, study them together with reason and logic and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so Abraham offers to Lot. Abraham, again, was the one leading. He's the one who probably had the most. He was the elder, and yet he is willing to say, you make the choice. If you want to go this way, I'll go that way. If you want to go that way, I'll go this way. Again, that's not how it often happens in divorce or any splits. This is getting lawyers and this clawing at each other to get everything, to to get the house, to get the kids, maybe not in that order, but to get the car and get the stuff, and then fight it out, battle it out. Business dealingship, dealership, business dealings, fighting and suing, bringing the world into it. It's very sad, very sad. So Abraham here, he's willing to surrender, give Lot the first choice. And what should Lot have said? No, you're the older, you're the elder, you choose. But does he say that? Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of, e garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as go down towards Zoar. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So Lot lifted up his eyes. One of the biggest piece of pie, the best, what he thought was best, lifted up in pride. And the valley, Jordan Valley, was well watered, beautiful at that time before. Now it's a dead sea. The desert, except in areas by the Getty where they have planted some beautiful uh, date orchards are all around it, just rocks and no, hardly even weeds growing. Rocks and rocks and rocks and rocks on rocks, lots of rocks. And dead salty water. And yet at that point, it was well watered like the Garden of Eden, it says. Like along the Nile River. And so that's what he wanted, and that's what he took for himself, selfishly. And that's probably what his attitude was, and that's what spilled over to his herdsmen. And his herdsmen then selfishly battling with Abraham's, following their example. And so he selfishly, greedily, and that was probably the big problem. Greed, selfishness, that's the bottom line in most arguments. Wanting our way, demanding our way. We need to surrender. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. 
and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Here again, we see Lot's heart. Not only did he go down to the green pastures down there, he plants his tent as far as Sodom, and Sodom's a wicked city. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. He wasn't going down there. I don't know how much land there is for his sheep and herds in the cities of the plains near Sodom. But maybe he thought, I can make more riches down there. There's lots of people down there. There's cities down there. I can sell my herds. I can trade and make more uh, commerce and interact. And maybe there's a nightlife. And you'll notice that it mentioned Lot coming out of Egypt with Abram. And here it says, and Lot dwelt in the cities. And Lot and Abraham separated. So it was Lot. But we've seen already prior, it mentions Abraham and his wife Sarah went. So no wife for Lot yet. Instance we've seen so far is just mentioning Lot. Lot left, or left, left, left Lot left uh, Haran. Lot went from Shechem with Abraham. Lot went down to Egypt with Abraham. No wife mentioned yet. And we'll come back more to that in another week. <laughs> we'll see, eventually he does get a wife. Where does he get his wife from? So Lot goes down, probably not married yet, by himself, down into the plains, down pitching his tent even as far as Sodom. So his heart was not in the right place with God. That was his problem. And that's what stirred up the contention. And that's often the root of contentions in our lives, that we don't get resolved. And so the enemy is not the ones that we're battling with. We think it's them, but it's not. You don't have to really go much further than the mirror to see the real enemy. Right? It's us. We are the problem. Our selfish, carnal hearts is the real problem. The me, 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 self is the issue. And so if you've gone through a problem, if you've gone through a breakup of some sort, whether in your family, whether business, whether marriage, whether family, parents, siblings, children, begin by searching your own heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Lord, what on my heart, what on my part could have been done differently? How was I greedy and selfish and stubborn in that situation? Where was I not willing to see things through the other person's eyes? Where was I just wanting for me, myself? How did I add to the problem? And so the problem is the devil and how the devil influences and works through us. It takes two to tango. Abraham wasn't willing to get into it. He was willing to take a loss if necessary. And it must have been hard for Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. 
for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. So earlier it said that Lot and Abraham separated, but here it puts the blame on Lot. Lot had separated from him. And that's not just at the point of moving, but Lot was separating himself in his mind and his heart from his love and feelings towards his uncle, who he owed a lot to, was a fatherly figure to him. And he had separated himself. You know, the saying that if you feel separated from God, it wasn't God who moved, right? <laughs> you found distance from God, it wasn't God who moved, right? So we need to start with self. Lot had separated from him. Lot had separated himself. And so it must have been very trying on Abraham, grieving the loss of this son of his, nephew of his, who became like a son to him. And now he's also not as protected. He's living in among the Canaanites. And now he doesn't have nearly as many herdsmen protecting, not many uh, loyal people with him to help him out. And so now he's a smaller group among all the Canaanites in the land if they choose to attack him. He's more vulnerable than he was before. And so God comes to him and makes this wonderful promise. Don't worry, Abraham, I got your back. In spite of Lot, even if Lot's not there for you, don't worry, I'm there for you. Lift your eyes, don't worry, north, south, east, west. All this land I will give to you and your descendants. Even though you don't have any descendants yet, and maybe you're kind of counting on giving things to Lot, and Lot taking over and keeping the name going, don't worry, I will give it to you and your descendants. Wonderful promise, wonderful encouragement at this point in time for Abraham. Now, of course, he doesn't receive the fulfillment of this promise in his lifetime. <laughs> he has nothing except a cave in his lifetime. But God does come through and fulfills his promise. And if our heart is right, and our attitude is right, and if, God forbid, a split has to take place, and again, most marriages came together, made a commitment together, and they're together, like anything can be worked out. But if not, don't worry, God will bless. God will take care. God will make up for the loss. God will provide for all your needs. And so if you're grieving the loss of a friend who left because whatever, they didn't like your medical choices or, or your religious choices or your or whatever, uh, take comfort. God won't leave you nor forsake you. God will bless you. God will prosper you. Maybe not right away. Wicked don't get struck down with lightning boom the first thing, <laughs> unfortunately, but God knows. Nor do the blessings just flow in, boom, right away, right? But in God's timing, he knows when and he knows how. He's never late. Yeah. Though he's on time. time. Just seems that way to us. He's delayed, but he's not. He will come through. He will bless us and our descendants, whether we have physical descendants or spiritual descendants. We remain faithful to the Lord, walking in him with a right heart, with a right attitude. God will bless. 
his people. You might not see it in your lifetime, but that's okay. It's the eternal that counts. It's not about the here and now. It's about storing up in heaven, living for heaven, having a character that will walk into heaven. That's what counts. And so God gave this wonderful promise to Abraham. I will give you the land. Verse 16, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, God has brought to fulfillment, again, not in Abraham's life, but he gave the land to his descendants. Abraham's descendants. Right? And from Moses' time coming out of Egypt all the way to this time, there's always been some Jewish people living in the land. Even during the time of Babylon, taking people, Babylon coming in, destroying the city and taking us, there's always some left there. Even when the Romans came in and dispersed us, there were always some that remained. Even the various different Arab and British and Turks and uh, Byzantines and Catholic groups that have ruled over Israel various times over the last 2,000 years, the Jewish presence has always remained. God's faithful to his word. As here in verse 16, I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Well, how many is that? You ever try and count the dust in your house? <laughs> and it seems to multiply, right? It just seems to come, keep coming. It doesn't matter, right? You know? You can sweep, you can dust, you can vacuum. And then a week later, it's all there again. You know? How it gets back over there, I have no idea. You can go on vacation, you can lock the doors, lock the windows, no one in, no cat, no nothing, nothing in there, and you come back and there's dust. It's amazing. Dust just gets in these places. And he says, you will be as many as the dust of the earth. Remember as a young child uh, sitting in the car, backseat of the car, and a sunbeam coming in the window. And I noticed in the sunbeam there was these flakes floating around, these little dots floating around. So what are those dots? I put my hand, try and grab them. What are these dots? I didn't know. There's dust, dust in the air, right? There's dust in the air. It's everywhere at all times, floating around. And your descendants will be as many as the dust of the earth. Well, are there that many Jews? No, no. But we saw last week that if you are Abraham's seed, if you are the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all those who come to faith in Messiah are also Abraham's seed and also receive of this promise. So if we count the Jewish people who remain faithful to the Lord down through the ages and, and others who've come into faith through the Messiah, does that equal the dust of the earth? If we go even from Adam's day to our day, do you think that's as many as the dust of the earth? It says, narrow be the way that go in, that the righteous go in. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many be that, that go that way. So I don't think that even calculates enough for the dust of the earth. Then where does all this number, where does this find its fulfillment? Especially since we're getting towards the end. We have a lot of time to multiply to get the dust level. But the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham, that makes it all possible is Yeshua the Messiah. And he, through him, 
leaving heaven, coming down to this earth as a child of Abraham and David, fought the devil. And what were they fighting for? What was on the line? Who did the winner, what did the winner get? If the devil would have beat Yeshua, and he could have, if he would have gotten Yeshua to sin, and Yeshua could have sinned, not, he was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. So it's no temptation if you can't do it. So he could have sinned. He was tempted to sin, just like we are, in all ways, and probably more ways. And yet he did not sin. But if he would have, and Satan would have won, what would he have won? Us, all this world, is that all Yeshua is over? The kingdom of heaven, correct. That's what was, who sits on the throne? That's what he put on the line for you and me. He didn't have to, he could have stayed there and let us just float out into space. He could have just killed Adam and Eve right from the start and it would have all been over. But rather than lose Adam and Eve and all who would come after, he was willing to gamble it all. Put everything on the table. Lucifer had nothing to lose. There's already a, a lost cause, right? But God had everything to lose. That's what you're worth. That's what your value is. That's why the battle was more intense than we could ever imagine, especially coming towards the ending scenes. The devil knew his time was getting short to get Yeshua to, to sin. And Yeshua knew the pressure was on and the agony in Gethsemane. The pressure so high is blood pressure, sweating blood. Agony to death. So it caused him to die wasn't the nails in his hands and his feet. It was the intense pressure of the weight of the sins of the world upon him. Satan's last effort, probably every demon that had fallen out of heaven was there pressuring Yeshua to, to give up, to surrender, to curse God and die. And Yeshua would not let go. He would not give in for you, for me. Our value is heaven. That's the price that was paid for you, for all the saved and even the lost. The price has been paid whether they accept it or not. They don't benefit if they don't accept it, but the price has already been paid for all of humanity. And so it's who then owes their existence? to the seed of Abraham. Jewish people that are saved, non-Jewish people that are saved, come one family together. God saved people, no distinction. But also the angels in heaven, the unfallen angels. They would have come under Satan's control if Satan would have won the battle. Yeshua has dominion over them, and so Yeshua loses, and Satan now takes his position. 
Just when Adam lost, Satan took Adam's position. So all the angels, myriads and myriads and myriads of angels. And you think there are just angels out there? We know there's seraphim and cherubim and various different kinds of angels, but you think there's just angels out there? You think God just started creating 6,000 or so years ago and for all of eternity he was just sitting around twiddling his thumbs? No, I believe there are created worlds. The Bible uses that term, worlds, in plural. All the sons of God came together, probably represented from all the different planets, galaxies, living creatures that God has created. And they also would have lost. They also would have come under the dominion of the devil. If Yeshua would have failed. And so thus, they are the dust. So when you count all of them in, and all on this small little speck of a dust of a planet, all owe their existence to Messiah, who came as a son, a descendant of Abraham. And yes, as many as the dust of the earth, we'll get to meet them through eternity. We'll get to fly and come in contact with them and go from galaxy to galaxy planet to planet, meeting all of God's created creatures, whatever form they are. And unlike the Star Wars and Star Trek type of things where the humans are the good guys and all these other planets are these weird and ugly and mean and cruel things, it's just the opposite. Of course, Satan likes to take it and twist the opposite. They're the unfallen planets. We are the fallen planets. We are the rebellious one. We are the sinners. We are the enemy of God. So we'll get to meet them, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, throughout God's universe, all because of Abraham's faithfulness, more importantly, the descendant of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, Yeshua, the Messiah. Verse 17, arise, walk in the land through its length and breadth, for I give it to you. And more than just a little dusty planet, a little piece of land of Israel today the size of New Jersey. But the meek shall inherit the earth. The new heavens and new earth. God, ultimate promise, ultimate fulfillment for Abraham. That's what it's about. There's wars and battles over this little piece of land, and really that's not the issue. The land is not the issue. Anyone type to tell, tell you think the conflict in the Middle East is over this land? It's nothing about the land. God gives us. We surrender to Him. Makes us co-inheritors with Him, co-heirs with Him, and Yeshua has inherited all things. And He invites us to inherit it with Him. We'll have a country home. Bible says we will dwell in the woods and we'll have a city home in the new Jerusalem. And Yeshua is building our mansions in the new Jerusalem for us. We'll eat from the tree of life. And our home in the woods, the Bible says that we will build. We will build and no one else will build for us and we won't have to build for anyone else. Hank, you'll be out of business. So. <laughs> We'll enjoy it. We'll have this country home. 
And then on new moon to new moon, we'll come to the city. Sabbath after Sabbath, we'll come to the city, eat from the tree of life, worship with God together, and go back to the new heavens and new earth that we will inherit, that God has given to us as a free gift. We haven't earned it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a free gift that he gives to us. Verse 18, then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt in the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. We see faithful Abraham everywhere he goes, he's building an altar to the Lord, leaving a living testimony of faithfulness to God, of trust in him. And so what kind of offering did he offer there on this altar? Well, maybe a sin offering. Maybe he was confessing his part of the debate. Maybe uh, the Holy Spirit was convicting him of some area in his life where he could have worked things out, where he could have been more in tune and seen what was going on between the herdsmen. Where he could have seen the attitude of Lot changing and he could have ministered to Lot more. Maybe any selfishness on his part in the debate, in the struggle that took place. And I doubt it was an overnight occasion. It probably was a building process and time over time. And so maybe the Holy Spirit was convicting him and he confessed his sins. And that's a good thing to do. So we think of battles that we're going through now and we're in the past. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you what part you played. How you could have done differently. And confess it, accept the Messiah's sacrifice in your behalf accept his forgiveness, accept his cleansing, and then accept the Holy Spirit's power to do better next time. And maybe even write an apology if that would be appropriate. Maybe he was giving a a thank offering, thanking the Lord for the wonderful promise of protection, and that even though, again, his ranks are lower now, that God still promised to protect him and be with him, and maybe he's giving thanks. And it's good for us to give thanks for what we have. We can look at what we've lost. We can grieve it. We can learn lessons from it. And we can be thankful for what we still have. And so maybe he was being thankful. And we can also look forward to the future of what God has promised for us and will give to us. And so we move on. Again, can't save every business transaction and every... Um, friendship. And even if marriage dissolves or families dissolve, we can move forward by faith, trusting the Lord and continuing on and allowing God to lead us in the next stage of our life and trust him. And so Abraham might be giving an offering of thanks for what God will do for him fulfilling the promises that he has given to to him. Maybe he's praying, maybe he's giving an offering and praying for Lot. Maybe he sees Lot is now on a downward course, going down to Sodom and living down near Sodom and putting his tent near Sodom and, and his attitude and the way he treated Abraham. And maybe he's praying for Lot. Pray for those who've hurt you. Pray for those who've despitefully used you. Ask God to give you forgiveness. 
towards those who've been bad to you. You don't forgive those who've been good to you. You only forgive those who've been bad to you. So forgive them by God's grace. It's acknowledging they were wrong, acknowledging they did wrong. But God saved them in spite of the wrong they did. And so maybe he's praying for them. Maybe he's praying for the Canaanites in the land. Lord, now I don't have my partner Lot uh, to, to help me in this witness. Lord, still use me. I'll need a double portion of your spirit. Pour out your spirit to reach these people that you put me amongst. Save these people. You have me here for a purpose. You have me here for a reason. Use me. And those same type of things should be for us as well. So in a moment when we pray, you can be praying for those that God has placed you around in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, where you're at, where you go shopping, where you go eat or whatever you do. God would make you a blessing to pray for those in your sphere of influence. Two, praying for those who've hurt you in the past. You've been through some split, some breakup, some hardship. And the moment when we pray, surrender it over to God. Give that person over to God, pray for them. Pray that God will work all things out together for good. Even that horrible situation, pray that God will work even that out together for good, for the salvation of souls. Pray and ask God if there was any part on thing on your part, so you can confess it, be cleansed, and forgiven. Set up your altar right now, right where you're at. In a moment as we pray, offer the Lord's sacrifice there. And also we can be giving thanks and praising the Lord for the heaven that he has in store for us. Lay a hold of that promise that he has for you eternal life new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and that he will give you descendants that will be there as well that he will give you souls for his kingdom that he will use you in winning people for heaven through your words through your acts through your deeds through your offerings claim people of, for heaven as a result of your life here on this earth pray for the descendants be as many as the dusts of the earth Next time you dust your house, maybe that's something you can think of too, right? (laughs) Yeah, pray for the descendants, that's right. So let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord, you know all things. You know what it's like to go through separation. You had Lucifer and one-third of the angels leave you debate you, battle you, go to war with you, hate you, despise you. So you know our suffering, you know our pain, you know what we've been through. You've been there through the breakups in our lives, the scars that we have received. But Lord, you have survived through it. You've caused us to live through it. And you're still with us, we're still here. 
So Lord, minister to us. Give us true faith in you and comfort in you. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for never forsaking us. Thank you for being our true friend. Thank you for being our spouse. Thank you for being our parent. Thank you for being all things to us. Thank you for Yeshua, for your sacrifice in our behalf. Thank you for laying everything on the line for us. Thank you for the great value you place upon us. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for providing forgiveness for how we've treated others, for the parts that we've played in breakups and divisions and in arguments and in fights, in our home, in our family, in our congregation, in our work settings. Thank you for forgiving us. Cleanse us of that attitude and of that temperament of division, selfishness, of pride, greed. Fill us with your spirit, your Holy Spirit. Give us love, meekness, humility, self-sacrifice, love for others. Give us a heart that forgives those who've hurt us, who've done wrong. Give us a heart to pray for them and pray for their salvation. Maybe not get into a, definitely not get into a codependent relationship and go back to be re-abused, but, but give us intercession for them, prayer for them. And if necessary, to even be willing to risk our lives for them. Let our relationships here on earth, in our marriage, in our home, in our families, and in the congregation here, and school and work settings, may people see you in how we interact with one another. May people be one for your kingdom. May there be many people, many more people in the kingdom of heaven as a result of our individual lives and our corporate life as a congregation. Hold us together as a congregation in love and in faith and in trust in you. And use us as a shining light to this community and to all around. For your honor and for your glory. In Yeshua's name. Amen.